Well, good morning, Good Shepherd. I know a lot of you watching that video, you were like hoping, I hope he comes out and continues that dance. No, that's next Sunday. I am Talbot Davis. I'm the pastor here at Good Shepherd. And as always, whether you're connecting online or whether live streaming or whether you're live, so glad to be able to be in your presence today. And this is the third week in this series that's called Graceland, a series that puts us in this land where God does what we can't. That's what Graceland is all about. And it, it started a couple of weeks ago with a message called Chasing Grace. Last week was supposed to be called Insulting Grace, but I got sick and Chris Macedo, our worship leader, filled in and did a remarkable job on very short notice. And yeah, you can do that. And then... Uh, I don't know what he called that message. I just know it was good, like good grace. And then today, today week three in the series, and I don't know when I'm gonna do insulting grace. I've put it aside. I'll wait for when the people of this church need some good insulting. And today it's called saving grace. And uh, in the Bible, it comes from the, the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible with you, could you locate Ephesians chapter two? and verses one through nine, and maybe you have a Bible that looks like this, or maybe it's on, loaded on your phone, so either open it there or scroll there. And if you don't have either of those options, the words are gonna be up on the screen, so you're covered that way as well. And uh, all of that is, is really important to us. There's a couple things we believe about the Bible that some of you have heard this a lot, and others of you have never heard it. So that's why we say it. And one of the things that, that we know about the Bible is that although this looks like a book, it is not a book. It's a library, a lot of books written by a lot of authors over a long span of time and get this multiple writing style. So when we're looking at what's called the book of Ephesians, it's actually a letter. It is correspondence written in the first century from a real man, Paul, to a real church in the ancient Greek city of Ephesus. The people who lived there were called Ephesians. And they had real stuff going on in their lives. So we get to overhear this previously private correspondence that Paul wrote to the Ephesian church. And that's just a fact that a lot of people don't know, but it really helps us to understand it. Not book, is library. Then the second thing that we believe about scripture, it's really like a treasured conviction that we have. And you may not share it. But we just want to be clear about where we in leadership stand. And it's here that, that through study, through research by faith, we believe that God breathed his life into the words of scripture. He put his truth on its pages. And we believe that the Bible is in fact inspired and eternal and true. And out of that conviction, when we talk about the Bible in this church, we do something unusual. We lift it up in the air. And if you've never been here before and there's phones and books and stuff in the air, and you're just like, I've never seen that before. We hadn't either till we started doing it. And then we realized, okay, this might be unusual, but we've discovered this is a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. There were a collection of people who don't have life figured out, amen? But we know who does. And we're joyfully surrendered to the authority of his word, amen? Before I say anything else, let's pray. So God, thank you that you're good. Thank you that we can spend some time bounding into Graceland where you do what we can't. And I just want to acknowledge, Lord, here at the outset that I am utterly, completely, totally powerless without you, but because of you, 
I'm not helpless. Pour out your help now. Everything good and right and true about God the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So uh, I don't know if you have noticed this or not. You probably have if you've been paying any attention. But, but bad people, they tend to get all the attention, don't they? Bad people grab all the headlines. They sort of suck the air right out of the room, whether it's uh, Mr. Putin in Russia or whether it's the shooters in Uvalde or Buffalo, or whether it's anybody ever named Kardashian, ever bad people, bad people just sort of get all the attention. And in light of that fact, I thought it would be really good, Good Shepherd, if we just gave a shout out to some good people. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be good? Because there, there might be bad people who get all the news, but we are sorry. They're just a lot of good people. So can we give it up already for just good people who are around? Yeah. Oh, you're clapping now. You just wait till I tell you about some good people. Like there's this guy in our church. And every spring, he gives my mower and my edger a tune-up every spring. And he will not allow me to pay him for that. He's a good guy. Or me faced with that dilemma of this guy who tunes my mower and my edger and will not let me pay him. I run off to Jim and Nick's and get him a gift card that he can't refuse for dinner there. I'm a good guy. I mean, we just got, we, you're supposed to applaud at that. I'm a good guy. We go, we, no. <laughs> yeah, that's really good preaching. I'm so pitiful. Tell me how great I am. <laughs> but there's really, for, for real, there are good, they're just good people. There's Gandhi. There's Rosa Parks. There's Martin Luther King Jr. There's the Dalai Lama. There's Billy Graham. There's Albert Einstein. They're just good, good people. Bad people get the attention. Good people make the difference. And how about we just spend some time thinking about good people? Because does it not follow that all these good people, whether the guy who tunes my lawn equipment or whether it's the Dalai Lama, these people who are so good in this life that when they go on to the next life, they go to the good place in the next life. They, they go to what we would call heaven after they die as a reward for their goodness. Because deep down, most of us, to the degree that we think about heaven, to the degree that we think about forever, we figure that, that it is a lot like Santa Claus. Because what does Santa Claus do? He's gonna find out who is naughty and who is... And so we figure out that, that that's kind of the way heaven is, that it's gonna figure out who's naughty, whether they're naughty by nature or, or naughty by... Not, he knows them, yes, whether they're naughty by nature or naughty by choice. And we figured they go to the naughty place or whether it's the nice people. And, and nice people go where nice people go. They, they go to heaven. We good, that's where good people go. And in fact, for a whole chunk of you, if I were to ask you, where do you think you're going to go after you die and why, the answers would, would involve things like, well, because I never, 
or because I always, or my favorite, I may not be perfect, but I'm a lot better than. Now, some of you, if you don't believe in an afterlife, and if, and if I were to ask you where you're going to go after you die, you would say, I will either be buried or I will be cremated, and, and that's it. And, it. and if that's you and you're here today, you're live streaming today, I'm so glad that you are here. I hope today might prod you and challenge you, but I do know, because I've been one of you, I do know that you are here. And, and in fact, this, this whole notion, but back, back to those folks who do believe there's an afterlife, this whole notion that good people go to a good place after they die is very common in what we would call the major religions of the world. Like in Islam, the central metaphor for Islam is the scales, the scales of justice. And you put your good deeds on one side and your bad deeds on the other side. And if at the end of your days, your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you go to heaven. For, for our Jewish brothers and sisters... Now, you may not know this, but the, a good chunk of Jewish people, maybe the majority of Jews, they're not convinced at all that there even is an afterlife. It's really not part of their framework for understanding the things of the world. But those Jews who do believe in an afterlife tend to believe that heaven is a reward for doing good in this earth and for following the commandments. And, and for our friends in the Eastern religions, Hindu religions and, and Hinduism and Buddhism, it's not exactly the same, but yet it sort of is. Because in both Hinduism and Buddhism, they see the world, they, they see our souls as endlessly recycled. That's what reincarnation is. And for a good Hindu or a good Buddhist, the way to get off of that cycle, which is what they want to have happen, the way to give off of that cycle of reincarnation and be absorbed into God and to reach nirvana is to be a really good and moral person in, the, in this earth. earth. So again, it, it's, it's all the major religions of the world. And goodness, it is a whole lot of people who profess the Christian religion, may, maybe even in lands closer to home. Like I remember... That another church, another town when I lived in Monroe, North Carolina. And, and I was just getting started as a pre, I mean, I was like, I was like a whippersnapper preacher and just getting, and the best guy in that church. I mean, he was the best guy. And he, he told me one time, cause we got talking about heaven and hell and eternity and how you get where you're going. And, and he said, well, Talbot, I am just hoping I'm going to make it after I die. I'm really hoping that I'll be good enough to get to heaven. So it's all the religions of the world. It's probably a good chunk of you. It's some of the best people that we know. But the thing is, this series that we are in is not called Goodland, is it? It's called Graceland, isn't it? We're, we're bounding not into talking about our goodness. We are bounding into talking about God's grace Ness. And today it's called saving grace. And I can honestly tell you that you can get every other grace that I'm going to talk about in this series wrong, chasing grace, insulting grace, keeping grace, saying grace. You can get all those wrong, but you got to get saving grace right because it is the one that speaks to and shapes forever. So in terms of priorities, this is the one that has to be gotten right. And, and when you realize that, kind of the stakes of it all, 
And you start to subject this, this, this good notion, you know, because we fall, what do we, we, we fall for? Uh, sound bites. And, and, and good people go to heaven when they die. Man, that is a sound bite. But like most sound bites, this one can't handle the truth. Because you subject it to the slightest amount of pressure, put it under the least bit of tension, and you see it will fall apart. Like, if, if good people go to well, who decides what's good? And, and you're like, oh, yeah, well, who, the Ten Commandments. What about Hindus and Buddhists who've never heard of the Ten Commandments? You're like, oh, okay, 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 not the Ten Commandments. Well, what about what everybody everywhere has already thought is, makes you good and right and just? That, that, that's how we'll decide what's good. Oh, really? In Afghanistan today, to be considered a good, right, or just female, you will never have education after sixth grade, you will only wear a burqa, and you'll never leave home unaccompanied. We'd call that ridiculous. They'd call that good and right and just. And before you get too critical of people living in other lands, in this area, just a generation or two ago, because I was living here, in those days, in that area, to be considered good and right and just, you had to marry within your own race or ethnic group. And if you married outside your race, outside your ethnic group, that made you give up all claims to be good and right and just. And we now know that is a lie from the pits of hell. But if you had asked people 30 years ago, 20 miles from here, everybody knows that. So who who decides what's good? Or, or how good is good enough? If it's the commandments, well, is, is keeping seven out of the 10 commandments? I mean, that's a C. Is keeping seven out of 10 good enough? Is, 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 is keeping eight? I mean, that's a B. Is keeping eight out of 10? Is that good enough? Or what about if you run out of time? What about what, what about if you've been bad? Because and this is some of your stories. Because y'all are so nice, and you tell them to me. And you had a whole long season being bad. You said bad, 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 bad. And then you turned your life around, and you started being good. And you've been really good for two years and three years. And you're trying to make up for all that bad. Really good, really good, really. And then you die suddenly. And it's not that you didn't get good. It's just that you ran out of time. So, so how good? How good is good enough? And how long do you have to be that good for? Yeah, when you expose good people go to heaven when they die, you really see that under the least bit of pressure, the slightest stress test, it can't handle the truth. And of all those stress tests that it can't handle, the major one that it can't handle is the biblical one. Because Paul, inspired, anointed author, writing a letter to a church in the ancient Turkish city of Ephesus. And he knows these people and he knows they're struggling with stuff and he knows they're asking questions even about eternity. And I want you to look at how he begins chapter two and verse one of his letter to the Ephesian church. As for you, Paul says, as for you, you Ephesian people, You were, what? Dead in your transgressions and sin. 
well, that's pretty insulting. You, you weren't sick, you weren't broken, you weren't wounded, you weren't raised the wrong way. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. And I don't know if you know this or not, no amount of goodness can revive someone from deadness. And then Paul goes on after letting the people know just how high their stakes are. You, you, you were dead in your sins and your alienation from God. And then verse four, I love this, verse four. But because of his God, his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, verse five, made us alive with Christ. I love that. We didn't, we didn't make ourselves alive. We don't, come, we, 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 we don't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and, get, and make ourselves come to life. No, we are made alive by Christ. And then look at the, the rest of verse five. Even when we were dead in transgressions and sins. Oh, thanks for telling us a second time that Paul. And then this little aside, look at the aside at the end of verse five. By the way, it is by grace you have been saved. It is by God doing what you can. It is by grace you have been saved. And then, I don't know if you know this or not. Some of you do because you've heard me and we're paying attention. Others of you heard me and weren't and others you've never heard this. Writing. The actual process of writing in ancient times was tremendously expensive and extraordinarily difficult labor because they didn't, they, they didn't have word processing. They didn't have a way to put something in all caps or all bold or italics. They didn't even have punctuation in those days. And writing materials was expensive and the act of writing was backbreaking labor. So anytime a biblical author repeats something, you know, it broke their back and just about broke their bank to do it. So it's the Bible's neon light, the Bible's way of saying, this matters, pay attention to me, everything hinges on this. And so Paul has just thrown in this aside in verse five, by the way, Ephesians, it is by grace you have been saved. Skip down to verse eight and look what Paul says, for it is by grace you have been saved. Whoops, neon light, neon light, it is by grace you have saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. Why? So that no one can boast about how their goodness got them into God's heaven. You put it all together. Oh my gosh, this neon lighted. It is by grace you are saved. This, this raising the stakes for the Ephesian people and everybody who comes out. You, you, you are dead. No matter being good can, can bring you to life. And it is so clear what Paul is doing. It is so clear what his purpose is in all of this because it's, it's God's grace, not your goodness. Because it's God's action, not our reaction. And here's what I want you to know. Here's the gracious grace, the one grace that you and I and everybody really need to get right when we think about heaven and eternity and life after death. It's this, your salvation is never a reward for your goodness. It's always the result of his greatness. I think we're gonna put that up on the screen. Your salvation is never a reward for your goodness. It's always the result of his greatness. And when you, when you get that, 
when you, when you have that freeing moment of, oh, I don't have to worry about if I've done enough, if I've been good enough, if I've avoided enough bad, I don't have to worry about it because I could never get to heaven on my own goodness because your goodness isn't very good. But I can lay all my trust on his greatness that what Jesus does on the cross and through the resurrection, well, that's when God starts pouring out saving grace upon us and he never stops. You can shift the trust from how good you are to how great he is. And that's the best shift you will ever make. Your salvation, my salvation is never a reward for your goodness. It's always the result of his greatness. Amen, good shepherd. Yeah, see, it's, it's like that guy who, who died and, and he went to the pearly gates of heaven because you know this is how it works. And Peter, St. Peter is there to meet him because you know this is how it works. And Peter greets the newly dead guy at the gates and he says, well, it's gonna take you a hundred points to get in. Tell me, tell me what you did. The guy thinks for a minute, he says, well, I served lunch at the rescue mission with my church. And Peter says, well done, one point. And the guy says, one point, all those hamburgers and all that casserole, one point, what are you doing? And, and then he, one point. Guy thinks a minute and he goes, well, there was that time when I took care of my grandmother when my brother and sister said they were too busy. And Peter says, that was so nice of you. One point. And the man says, Peter, have you met my grandmother? <laughs> One point. And the guy, he thinks he's getting a little panicky now. And he thinks, well, I listened to a whole lot of sermons on how to be good. And Peter says, and some of them were terrible. One point. And the guy's like, oh, those Sundays in church, listen to all that yakking up there. And it's just one point. Peter says, one point. And the guy, and by this stage, the guy is totally panicked. That's all I got. That's all I've done. I just have three points and 97 to go. If not for the grace of God, I'll never make it in. And at this stage, Peter gets engaged. Grace of God, 97 points. Come on in. Salvation. It's never a reward for your goodness. It's always the result of his greatness. Maybe it's even like what I saw not too long ago. And I, and I just thought, I just love that. I want to share that with the people of Good Shepherd one time talking about salvation. And, and it went this way. I think we're going to throw it up on the screen. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I just love that because in a world that, pits people against one another, who's better? In a world that measures us by our achievement or our accomplishment or our fame, it just says no to all that. It, it, it ups the ante on our radical dependence upon God. And in a world that says all paths are equal, all religions are the same, this one says in Christ alone. And the reason it dares to make that exclusive claim about Jesus that's invited to this inclusive audience involving everybody is because of all those religious leaders I've ever talked about. He's the only one who got up out of the grave. Your, your salvation. It's never a ward for your goodness. It's always the result of his greatness. Now, now, 
do not hear what I am not saying. When I say it's not the result of the reward for your goodness, don't say, woo, Talbot said, I can leave that church and go out and be bad, 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 bad. And, and the worse I am, the greater Jesus will be. So let's live it up. No, no, no. That when, when, when it says by grace alone, through faith alone, faith, biblical faith, new Testament faith is never, it's never like believing in gravity. Things that just always work. It's never like believing that Alabama's gonna win in football. Things that just always happen. It's, it's not even just a head nod. It, but, well, come on. I don't even care if they win, they just always do. It's not even a, it's not, a, what, you're gonna, like Princeton's gonna win football? It's, I mean, it's not even a head nod to the fact that Jesus died and rose again and he's coming back. It's not all, it's not any of that. It is instead this moment of desperation that leads to ongoing momentum of desperation where you give in to the one who has given all. When you give up and you surrender to Jesus and you realize, Jesus, you, you've chased me, you've insulted me, you're gonna keep me, you're gonna send me, I believe you're saving me. It's all about what you've done, not what I do. And so how can I do anything else but give my life as an offering to the one who is the ultimate sacrifice? That's what it is. It's not just head knowledge. It is, because I don't know if you know this, partial acceptance. Yeah. I, I believe in Jesus. So does Satan. Partial acceptance is complete rejection. But when you get it, when you understand the, the breadth and the depth of, of what Jesus has done for you, why would you want to give him anything less than everything you are? What's the goodness of that? When you understand, this is so freeing, Good shepherd, the most important thing that ever happened in your life did not happen in your life. The most important thing that happened in your life happened in Jesus's life, his life, his death, his resurrection, his return. And when you realize, ah, that's what defines me, that frees you up from trying to strive and accomplish and achieve and get recognition, frees you up from all that junk. When, when you realize, ah, this isn't about my performance for Jesus. He's not going to give me heaven as a, as a reward for my good performance. Because your good performance isn't that good. But my position in him, my position in the resurrected king, man, when you realize that's at the heart of it, it is so liberating. When you understand, you can, you can know you're going to heaven when you die. Did you know that? Because it's not based on your goodness. Your goodness comes, comes and goes. It's based on his greatness. His greatness never changes. And when you can know where you're going after you die, you have your eternity assured, man, your time in history is so much more serene. Salvation is never, never a reward for your goodness. It's always the result of his greatness. I know. I know for some of you, it really kind of bumps up against your notion of fair, people getting what they deserve in your life because that's how you were raised. You get what you pay for. You get what you deserve. And, and, and I don't know if you know this or not, but getting what you deserve out of life, is that's what karma is. 
And you can, karma, you get exactly what you deserve. And I love how people on TV throw around karma. They always want other people to get their karma. I've never seen someone on TV saying, well, I just hope I, get, hope I get my karma for this terrible thing I just did. No. But Good Shepherd, grace, grace is better than karma. Karma gives you what you deserve. Grace realizes what you deserve is ultimate separation from God. So I, in Jesus Christ, am gonna give you better than you deserve. Why settle for one when you can be liberated by the other? It just makes me think of that guy. That, remember that good guy I was talking about? I mean, he was good. The guy at the Monroe Church, so good. And we were having this conversation and I was just a whippersnapper preacher and, and he, he talks about wanting to make sure he's been good enough to get to heaven after he died. And, and I guess I was so young, I didn't know any better but to speak the truth. And, and I just said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's look at Ephesians chapter two. And we walk through these verses together. And I saw the neon light of scripture become the clarifying light in his life. And that guy was good. He was really good. How could you want? How could you need anything less or anything else? Salvation is never a reward for your goodness. It's always the result of his grace. So Father, thank you that you are good and that goodness chases us, saves us and protects us. And I pray that you would use the words of my message just delivered to chase people into your arms even now. In your name we pray, amen.